0: Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, editor-at-large at at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. This week, Julia Donaldson is in the house. Born in Edinburgh, Scotland, Julia is an award-winning children's book author, playwright, and performer. From 2011 until 2013, she was the Children's Laureate in the United Kingdom. Julia has written many wonderful picture books for young readers, including The Gruffalo, Princess Mirror Bell, Man, and most recently, Zog and the Flying Doctors. Before we dive into our interview, we'd like to start with a special treat. When Julia and her husband Malcolm do events and school visits, they sing songs, put on costumes, and stage elaborate performances of Julia's books. We wanted to give you a little taste of that today. Here they are singing Zog and the Flying Doctors.
1: Doctors, we're flying doctors, and we're ready to fly to you. We have plasters to conquer all disasters, so just call the Flying Doctor Crew. Doctors, we're Flying Doctors, and we're ready to fly to you. If you're wheezing or if you could stop sneezing, if you're key or coldy, you or molding, call the Flying Doctor Crew.
0: Welcome to the program, Julia. Thank you for being here.
1: It was lovely to be here.
0: I want to start by asking you about your childhood. I know you grew up in a Victorian house in London. That is many people's dream. Could you tell us a little bit about what your childhood
1: was like? Yeah, well, for a start, the house probably wasn't like this dream because it, it was a terraced house and it had a very pokey little garden. But the garden wasn't two levels, so my sister and I could pretend it was a theatre and act plays and things <laughs> and um so anyway it we the only reason my family could afford this house was because they bought it with my granny and she lived in the top floor and my aunt and uncle lived on the floor above us and we were on the ground floor which we had to because my father had polio he was in a wheelchair um so that's who there was and looking back on it of course it was just something a lot of children don't have to grow up with so many different adults. Um, You know, my granny used to read us Edward Lear stories. My aunt um, taught us the terrible capitalist game Monopoly, which my father disapproved of. So, yeah, so we had lots of different influences.
0: Your sister and you had quite the imaginations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think children just do really do. I know that, you know, we we were read to a lot and um, we were sure that our cat, Geoffrey, was a prince in disguise and he was definitely going to marry one of us. We couldn't, not quite sure, wit.
0: <laughs> Greffalo was your breakout fictional character. Could you describe him for our listeners who may um, not know him?
1: Okay, well, the Gruffalo is a monster. And um, at the start of the story, you think he's an imaginary monster because he's made up by a mouse to scare away the mouse's prejudice. The mouse says, you know, he's going to meet this terrible creature. And so the mouse describes him as having terrible tusks and terrible claws and terrible teeth in his terrible jaws and knobbly knees and turned out toes and a poisonous wart at the end of his nose, various scary features. But then the Gruffalo actually turns out to exist. And the mouse then has to, to scare off the Gruffalo.
0: Some of this had to do with the rhyming I understand. Oh,
1: yes, yes. I didn't have a picture of the Gruffalo sort of pop into my head. I just made lists of body parts and adjectives and matched them up. And, yeah, that's how it worked.
0: Tell us about the inspiration behind your picture book, Zog and the Flying Doctors.
1: Well, Zog and the Flying Doctors is a sequel to another book, which in the UK is called Zog, but I think here it's called A Gold Star for Zog. And Zog is a rather clumsy boy dragon who goes to dragon school in the first book. Um, But at the end of the first book, um, he teams up with a princess and a knight and they become flying doctors. So I'd often wondered, you know, what what would happen to them. I I don't usually write sequels, but this had been preying on my mind rather. So Zog and the Flying Doctors is the story of their adventures, you know, healing various sort of um, mythical creatures like mermaids and unicorns. Um, it's quite a feminist book, actually, because the um, the princess, you know, she wants to be a doctor, but in the book, in the course of the book, her uncle, who has very different ideas about girls, that they should wear pre- pretty frilly dresses and do flower arranging, you know, he locks her up in the castle and the others have to have to try and engineer her escape. The book is sheer genius, <laughs> I have to say. Her uncle's a king.
0: Yeah, Yeah. her uncle's the king. When the king becomes ill, the princess becomes a pivotal player
1: in the story. That's right, Um, because the princess is locked up in the castle and, and her uncle gets orange fever, which is a very serious disease, but no one else can diagnose it. She diagnoses it, and she finds that the cure is grated horn of unicorn, a mighty lion's sneeze, some mermaid scales, a little slime and half a pound of cheese. So the other two go off in search of all the ingredients, and uh, I better not tell you the total okay. you know, We don't story. want to have a
0: spoiler here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's, a, it's a great story. What was your first thought when you saw Axel Scheffler's illustrations that accompany
1: the story? Oh, I mean, I, I know now that I'm always going to love what Axel does because he's so witty. You know, he just adds so many little touches. And because in, in the book, Zog... He's always been a clumsy dragon, and so he does c- terrible crash landings. It's always crash. stumpy he landed, and that I repeat that line lots of times. And so Axel had the job of showing how, you know, showing all these failed landings. So I'm just looking at a picture now where Zogs landed behind a rock, and his kind legs are in the air. So, yeah, lots of lovely, funny touches like that. That's
0: terrific. You've written more than 200 books. That's quite a lot.
1: Yeah, well a lot of them actually I hasten to say of uh go straight into school. So I think probably the books you could get in the bookshops, there might be about sixty of those. Okay, only sixty. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'll try and I'll try and work harder.
0: <laughs> well, you have phonics readers, which I'm interested how you make hmm. phonics fun
1: for kids. Well, actually I think writing having a discipline like that, um, can produce quite fun stories because, like, for instance, one of the phonic books was I had to bring an E sound, um, and so I had a story about 15 queens and eating cheese and peas and jelly and ice cream, you know, and then there's one queen who only wants a nice green leaf. So that's, you know, it's a similar discipline actually to, to writing rhyme, which is what I usually do.
0: Tell us about all of your work. You perform and you sing in addition to writing books.
1: Yes, in fact, it really started, at, you know, the other way around, it started with the performing, I would say, because I um, always loved acting and I studied drama at university and and um, used to go busking and singing in the street and then I started writing songs for special occasions, like I'd write a song about teeth for a dentist dinner. And, you know, so I was more of a performer and then, um, but then, That turned into writing songs for other people to perform. And then, yeah, it was one of my songs for children called A Squash and a Squeeze, which became my first book, the words, not the tune. And um, so it's kind of gone full circle because I then started writing books, but I I still love the performing. So my husband and I kind of half the time we're on the road. As we speak, we're in the middle of an American tour, you know, doing shows in bookshops and theatres and schools.
0: What are some of the favourite reactions you get from your young fans?
1: Um, well, they, you know, the, I think children love to be scared. <laughs> so say at the moment we're, we've got a story, well, we do The Gruffalo. We've also got a story called The Giant Jumpery. And it's about, um, you know, a strange noise, a strange voice coming from a Rabbit's Burrow. And we were in one school, very, very impoverished school, actually like in St. Louis, and you know, when the children heard this voice, "I'm the giant jumperee and I'm scary as can be," they all sort of clutching each other. And you know, we have to, yeah, quite a lot of crowd control comes into it. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: <laughs> that wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Now, you have a story called "The Fish Who Cried Wolf," and in it, Tiddler, the fish, the main character, gets lost one day at sea, and he says, "I was lost. I was scared." But a story led me home again, which is a profound statement in many Mm -hmm. ways. Could you tell me what that means for you as a writer?
1: Well, just to say a little bit more about the book, I mean, Tiddler is a born storyteller and he's always, if he's late for school, he says, oh, it's because I was, you know, having these adventures with a mermaid or I was locked in a treasure chest and so on. And some of them believe him and some don't. And so... Uh, you know, when he gets lost, the way he finds his way home is because his stories have spread throughout the ocean. So he hears someone telling a version of one of his stories. And I love that about storytelling that, you know, half half the stories that children are listening to now, they probably came from, you know, India in the uh, Middle Ages or something like that. And the way stories can can travel the world and Mean different things to different people, like, you know. Just, I just wanted to celebrate storytelling.
0: What is it about animals in particular?
1: Well, I think, and they're not really animals, you know. It's just like in *Aesop*, the, the hare and the tortoise. The hare is just, just a metaphor, you know. The hare is just one of these characters that is so successful that they they don't bother, you know, and he goes to sleep. The tortoise is a sort of plodder who, in the end, does better because he keeps at it. So same in my books, really. They're, you know, they're mostly fables of a kind. and um, yeah. yeah. But I think for the illustrators, it's much more fun to draw a fish or draw a dragon than just draw a sort of person who likes telling stories or a person who's a bit clumsy. I
0: would agree. And the, the characters have such big personalities that really... Through. Yeah,
1: well, I do have to acknowledge my illustrators, I mean especially Axel Scheffler, um, because people often say to me, oh, how did you create that character? And actually the characters are not really... I mean, most of my characters you could describe in two words. You know, the, the Gruffalo's sort of big and stupid, the mouse is little and clever, and so on. But when an illustrator does such a good job, the kids sort of see them as these rounded personalities.
0: Absolutely. You were the Children's Laureate in the UK from 2011 until 2013. What responsibilities did you have in that role, and how did the experience change you?
1: Well, the role is really um, you, uh, for those two years. You're the sort of spokesperson for children's literature, and um, so I would have to be interviewed. If I think Maurice Sendak died during the time as a Children's Laureate, so quick onto the radio say something about like Maurice Sendak, and so, so obviously I, I. At the end of those two years, I knew a lot more about other writers. I did, you know, and um, I went to lots and lots of different author events. But my main two things, one was libraries, and um, because I'm a passionate fan of libraries. And unfortunately in the UK, lots of libraries are disappearing or librarians' jobs are being axed. So I did a library tour, and in the library tour, my other big thing came into it because I would get classes of children to come well I didn't get them to come the classes of children were invited but I said that each class had to perform something to me because I just love um getting children to to act and and so some of them made up stories some of them made up songs some acted out picture books and uh you know that was such fun hard work because I did a sort of we were on the road for many weeks but um yeah, I'm sure it did change. But I did create a website, actually, then called Picture Book Plays, um, picturebookplays.co.uk, I think it is, which is to help teachers act out picture books with their classes. So loads and loads of examples, not my own books, or some of mine, but other people's books as tips about how to act the stories out.
0: I think Maurice Sendak would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> now tell us about your writing process.
1: Yeah, I, I wish I had more of a writing I You know, it's like I'm making it up for every time. Um, I suppose in as far as I can say, I'll, I'll have the germ of an idea and it, and then it could be days or it could be weeks, but usually it's months before I will know where that idea's going and I'll bore everyone rigid if I'm out on a country walk with my family. I'll say, oh, what do you think should happen? Like this one, "Dog and the Flying Doctors, I remember saying, are they going to, you know... Is Zog going to get ill? One of them's got to get ill. Someone's got to get ill. And what's going to happen? And so it takes a long, long time till I've got the plot developed. And then only once I've got the plot in my head do I start to write. And then I just do a brainstorm. I just write the plot out with anything that comes into my head, any words, any phrases. And then I tend to choose my favourite phrases. And I I look for a little refrain. And I look for an ending. The ending's the most important, really. If you can't get a good ending, it's no point writing the beginning. Really. So then I have to chuck loads out of the window, loads of little phrases I liked if they don't fit the meter, the rhythm, and then I just sort of, kind of sweat away. Uh, you know, it's quite, it's quite a sort of, um, you know, tedious in a way procedure. But it's lovely when I've. When I'm nearly there, and I'm just tweaking, I like that stage. Yeah, that's a, that's a good stage to be at, I'm sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I was happy with our feminist princess that I got a little nervous when she was going to cure the king. I didn't know if that was going to be good for her or bad. <laughs> I'm glad not to give anything away. I'm glad it turned out well for her. I wondered if you could read an excerpt for our listeners.
1: Yeah, I just really, I think it's best sometimes to just start a story at the beginning than to try and paraphrase so i'll just read the first few pages Um, so although it is a sequel you don't have to read the first book because there is an introduction meet the flying doctors a dragon knight and girl their names are gadabout the great and zog and princess pearl pearl gives people medicine and pills and vaccinations and gadabout is expert at performing operations Sog is good at flying, though not quite so good at landing. But Gadabite and Princess Pearl are always understanding. Flying high one morning, they heard a mermaid wail. I'm sunburnt and it hurts, she cried and swished her scaly tail. Bang, crash, thump, they landed. The mermaid's skin was red. Pearl rubbed in some special cream and Wear this hat, she said. Thank you, said the mermaid. And she waved a fond goodbye as the team of flying doctors sped away into the sky.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Julia Donaldson. It's been a pleasure to have you. Well, Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much again to Julia for talking with us and to her husband, Malcolm, for his musical accompaniment. And thank you for joining us. To read more about Julia's work, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads with you next time.